Thank you for tuning in to Talking Day 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of the galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Richard Stride, who played Separatist leader Poggle the Lesser in the prequels, as well as numerous other roles, including Clone Troopers and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, it's a great, quick inside look at what it was like to be on set while they were filming Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, and I hope you all enjoy it. This is Talking Bay 94, Episode 96, Richard Stride. Of course, with your work on the prequels, I always love first diving into your experience beforehand. What, what made you want to become an actor? What made you want to kind of go into this whole line of work? Uh, well, my mother always says from birth, uh, apparently when I came out, I just looked towards the light and that was it. Uh, <laughs> but no, the thing is, it's um, while I was at school, I started going to the sort of lunchtime acting group and then ended up, you know, taking it a bit more seriously, joining a, a local theatre group. And then after that, actually um, going off to drama school for three years and learning the craft. And then my first job was actually a big Hollywood movie, which was amazing, um, coming straight out of drama school. So, uh, and then did lots of film, TV, theatre, all different types of things after that. Even before Star Wars, I'd love to talk a little bit about your work with the Groundlings and everything you were doing there. And I'd be curious if that impacted at all then your experience working on Star Wars and having to be, especially with all the, the blue screen and all the extra elements involved with something like working on that kind of set, if that impacted your your day to day at all. I think so. I mean, the the interesting thing was was um, Star Wars was, uh, was was quite revolutionary at the time because it was just literally all green and blue screen. Mm-hmm. So you had virtually nothing to tell you where you were, what you were doing, what the environment was around you, or anything else. And quite often you were you were in this this great big blue box by yourself, um, and they would be superimposed later right. through CGI. All these other characters, and um, so often you had to ask questions are saying okay what planet we're on where are we what we're doing uh what's this you know what's the environment like etc and i think because i've done a lot of stage work i was able much more than uh some of the the rest of the cast to imagine mm-hmm. the world that was around me um a lot more and so basically found it easier mm-hmm. to create that world um than perhaps some of the the, the actors who just done film right. who we used to all those sets are used to having all the the people around them um as opposed to somebody standing there with a ping pong ball on an end of a stick to say that's your eye line right or you have to imagine that there's a um a robot there or an alien there or some other character right yeah i found that i found that not as challenging as perhaps some of the rest of the cars might have found Mm -hmm. it so yeah, thank God for doing all that theatre. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how did you first then get involved with, you worked on both episode two and episode three, but how did you first get involved with Lucasfilm and with the production starting off? So in way back in 93, mm-hmm. I when leaving drama school, I wrote to, oh, literally, you know, about a thousand people, uh-huh. I think it was. And I sent them off my showreel. I sent them off all my CV and everything else. And one of the people that I wrote to was George Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um as a child, I'd watched those three movies again and again and again, right. like everybody else had done, to the point where you know the script backwards. And I loved the camera work in it. I loved the the way they, you know, shot the models and and the storyline and and everything else. And I I said that in a in a letter and gave my showreel. 
and didn't expect anything back. And what came back was a personalized letter from George Lucas, which was, and this was in 93. Mm -hmm. I had put in the letter, not knowing anything at all that that we're ever going to make any Star Wars. I said, if there's any chance ever, (laughs) please do make any more Star Wars movies. I would love to be in them and I'd love to be involved in any small way. Right. You know, it will be the speck of dust on an end of a lightsaber, whatever it is. Right. And um, I got this letter back and I, I must have been one of the first people to find out that they were doing these prequels because in the letter he said, we are looking at doing three new Star Wars movies. Wow. I didn't know then if they were prequels or sequels. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, he's, he said in the letter, we are looking at and we will keep your details on file. Um, and when you hear that we're casting, get your agent to send off stuff. I, I heard they were then doing the prequels and right. asked my agent to send stuff. And I got a call and I did the audition and I knew in the audition that I got the part. Wow take part in it so so i mean obviously one of the things that stands out to me about your involvement with star wars is you you did so many different things throughout the productions what were you initially auditioning for and what was kind of that process then turning into all these different characters really so yeah it was a a very quick audition um uh, i mean i heard from the agent and literally within an hour i was in the casting session Uh that's how little time i i had no time to change or anything i literally in the car at the time when I heard the audition turned the car around and had to drive straight <laughs> and I remember I arrived at the studio and I thought I don't know where this is you know where am I supposed to go I suddenly saw this chap and I I said oh um I'm here for a Star Wars edition I said you don't happen to know where it is and he went oh yeah I know where that's happening and so he took me over there and I said oh god I said I'm, I've only just found out I said but god I said I'm nearly late I said you know he said oh don't worry they'll be fine about it I'm thinking not normally they're not normally <laughs> you're late for an audition right and i said oh you know my only, only agent told me about an hour ago and everything else and we walked into this room uh both of us he showed me into this room and he said he said oh this is george and i went oh hello oh hello <laughs> <laughs> and it's george lucas and he said and i'm rick mccullum oh my and god he, he was the producer right. so i'd asked the right person but there was that moment of thinking oh shit what have i just said <laughs> you know <not> <laughs> So, and then I had the audition and, but it was for Obi-Wan Kenobi for doing doubling right. and lightsabering and things like that. So, and I got that. And then um, that's all I thought I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on set, I, I remember the first day I, I did some doubling and stuff and they said, oh, do you want to go back to the green room? And I said, can I sit here right. and watch and just, and they said, oh, it's going to be a few hours before you're back on. I said, no, no, I'd quite like to watch if possible. Right. I said, and, uh, if you need a hand with anything, just shout. And I, I never saw the green room wow. during the entire filming process. And I think because I was always there, sat there, um, you know, quite often around the monitors, there'd be George, Rick McCullum and a few other people, the, you know, that watching the monitors. And I used to sit uh, with them. They end up one point saying, oh, could you, could you just fill in this bit? And mm-hmm. Could you do and could you do so i ended up playing um some droid i think it was ba 9000 or something which was like a female version of c3po mm-hmm. uh walking up the staircase to the opera um i read in uh it's not my voice but i read in for yoda for chewbacca for c3po for anakin for literally everybody mm-hmm. uh, to feed actors lines I ended up as half the clone troopers right. in, in the 
Imperial um, Army, as it were, um, and um, ended up playing Poggle mm -hmm. and just doing loads and loads of different characters and and anything they wanted me to do, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> I'll do that. That's great. I love it. I as well. <laughs> I mean, what, what stands out to me is, of course, with all your training and, and your actual the theatrical experience and then moving, especially with like movement reference, I'd be curious mm. what your thought process was and also what the actual physical process was for, let's say, Poggle and for the clone troopers. Was it a, was it one of the skin tight ping pong ball suits or how did it kind of work, uh, at least when you were on set? Yeah, so for most of that, for clone troopers, you were just in a, it was motion capture. So yeah. you were in a, a sort of green suit or whatever. And I mean, sometimes, you know, it may well be that you just have an arm if it was just the arm that was needed or, right. you know, in a sock, green or blue sock. And yeah, so that that was a lot of it. Um, it was really only the Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff that I actually had a right. full costume, the beard, the, the, the wig and what have you, because... Um, yeah, so we, you know, we basically had that. Um, and, um, yeah, so uh, most of it was just motion capture. Mm -hmm. But I'd done a lot of mime work um, in my training, and right. I'd done a lot of mime work in theatre as well. So I was used to, I suppose, working my body and isolating it and playing different characters. So when I saw the, the image of Poggle, um, I just thought he looked like a cockroach. Uh -huh. um, and was just thinking, okay, how would he walk? And because of the way his legs were and, and what have you, almost like, um, so he, he, he ended up being a sort of a cross between a sort of velociraptor and a, and a cockroach, right. I guess. And that's the sort of way, you know, ended up walking and using the shoulders and using different parts to capture the motion. And, and um, I used to do it on tiptoe as well. That <laughs> that's great. Because I don't have to go the other way. So, right. you know, I, I, do it on tiptoe and and step around and uh yeah it was, i mean it was difficult because there was um i remember one day we had to do the scene with um christopher lee mm -hmm. and i had to walk around with the the death star plans <laughs> and uh we could imagine is that that again you're in a just a big blue box there is nothing there there was a big round table mm -hmm. supposedly uh, but it didn't exist so you'd have a a, a little bit of blue tape on blue carpet going round, slightly different shape, but only ever so slightly, so you could just about see it, marking out that's the edge of the table. So you can't go over that line because basically you walk into the table. Right. But the other thing is that the Trade Federation guys were all on the other side. Now, they had um, they had these masks that were uh, operated by these operators who do their eyes, their things, and make them speak and what have you. And they had cables coming from their masks all down through the costume, down through their feet, mm -hmm. across the entire um, studio where the table was. And so I had all these cables that I had to miss mm -hmm. while walking. And this was another reason why I went up on tiptoe because right. I thought, well, I'm less likely to hit them. Right. And uh, the danger was is that, you know, and there you are carrying the, the Death Star plans opposite Christopher Lee, which is, you know, it's a little bit daunting. <laughs> And uh, going around, remembering the lines that you only got five seconds before, literally, and avoiding the table. And if you'd stepped on one of these cables, you know, the, the Trade Federation sort of went into spasm, you know, <laughs> um, etc. So you, you ended up with all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff going on. Right. Um, finally getting to Christopher Lee and handing over the Death Star and remembering what you got to say. <laughs> 
That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I would be curious going back to Obi-Wan, especially because I think maybe listeners might not understand the the full breadth of what really stand-in work for, especially the Star Wars prequels were, because you're in so many shots that you wouldn't even associate with not being Ewan McGregor. And so maybe kind of what was that process of, of jumping into the role and, and going from there? It's interesting because there are actually, there's quite a number of us that played Obi-Wan Kenobi and that's not widely known. Uh-huh. So they filmed some of it in um, Australia. Right. So there was actually a, what's called a stand-in. Mm-hmm. Now stand-in, um, they usually perhaps give them a cloak and that's it. Right. And, and they don't stand where the actor's going to stand so they can set up all the lighting and all the shots and everything. And then that stand-in will come out and a double mm-hmm. will go in looks identical to the other actor so I was a double Mm -hmm. for Ewan McGregor Um, so I'd have a stand-in who'd come and stand in then the stand-in would come out I would go in and do the filming of the over the shoulder shot or it might be my hat or it might be so one of the famous things is is in the Sith when Anakin and um, Obi-Wan have the fight and the two hang together like that it's that (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that's that's my hand, and it's the double for Anakin as well. It's right. not actually there. Right. Um, uh, so you'd have the double, and then the actor would go in, and sometimes you might have a stunt double specific to that stunt. So you could have, literally in that movie, you could have like five, six people playing that role mm-hmm. um, easily. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, so, you know, there were there were times when it was like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, then you're talking about Revenge of the Sith. So you were able to work on both Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. I'd be curious if there was any difference that you noticed in terms of both of those productions, or was it more just returning back to kind of a, a family environment by that point and kind of knowing that the crew at least and, and going from there? I think there was a, certainly a, 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 there was a real family environment. It was a lovely, lovely place to work. Um, I have to say that. And, the, you know, the passion for those films was immense. Right. You know, from every single person. And, you know, I remember going at the back of the studio and there was this guy who was sorting out all the, uh, the, the footage to go, to be beamed over to America so that people could edit it, send it back to us the next day. Right. So we could see if it was... You know, and that chat was in there for 12 hours a day, six days a week. And, you know, going through this footage, you know, with a fine tooth comb, making sure it's all okay and the sound was okay and everything else. And, you know, people forgot he was there. Uh And I used to feel sorry for him and every so often just pop in and go, hello. And he would be so focused on getting absolutely right. Um, And that's, that's the thing is everyone took so much care over things mm-hmm. and uh, was really passionate and it was it is filming is lovely you know that this whole idea that there's divas around and there's people that are demanding things is complete rubbish right that i've never seen that happen um actually what you have is is a real connection and social family because you're focused so much on that one thing right. to get that right and then you get those little moments of like i've just watched i know probably a bit over the top but it almost feels like you've just watched a bit of history sure. so that you know, one day i was reading my book you know sat next to samuel jackson as you do <laughs> uh, he was reading his book and we were sat there and there wasn't much going on that day and then suddenly they they played the star wars music of um uh the imperial march i think it was uh-huh. 
sort of looked up from our books and Darth Vader just sort of rose up like this. <laughs> and we all went, oh! <laughs> That's like little kids, you yeah. know, all of a sudden, like, oh, this is good, you know. So things like that were just am amazing and magical. But there, w there wasn't really a great deal of difference between two and three. Sure. Technology had changed a bit. Because on number two, it was the first time they were ever using those kind of cameras. And that was very new technology. So it was all very exciting. And, right. and probably three seemed to go faster, I would say, mm -hmm. probably. Um, but that might be just, you know, me thinking you're enjoying it or, you know, seeing it coming to an end slowly and thinking, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess going back to your, your first story of, of writing that letter to George Lucas saying, I want to be in Star Wars and then moving 20 years, 10 years later and, and saying, oh, here I am being directed by George Lucas, you know, on a, on a pretty large scale. What was that like for you almost as a full circle moment, but then like actually practically, what was it like being directed by George on the set and what was kind of his process? Um, so he's, he's very visual. Um, very, is is what they call not an actor's director. Mm -hmm. He doesn't give you a lot of um, necessarily direction in the sense of um, you're feeling this or you're, um, you know, uh, if you use this technique or you do this, etc. So, but he's, he's a brilliant storyteller mm -hmm. and he's, he has a very clear imaginate, but an encyclopedia of imagination right. makes it very easy to follow. So he's a, he's a great director in that sense is that you find a clear route through. Um, once you get past all that sort of, it, it's, it's, I tell you what it is. It's, it's as an actor, you have to just completely surrender and go, I completely trust you right. in what you're doing, you know, and almost just don't question it is the easiest thing I think you know that you can do and and he'll tell you if it's a load of rubbish right. doesn't work or whatever it is right. you know um i remember one day we i was on a blue box and you know i had the the green thing on and what have you and he said oh you're a clone trooper and i said okay and he said just simply what you want to do is, is you walk along the box you jump off you know it's about the height of a bed it's a couple of feet and you, you come to this point, you stand there and you point your gun. Mm. Uh, and that's all the information I got. And I went, okay, yeah, all right. So I pointed my gun, so I guess I'm in a battle or potentially in a battle. Right. So I put a little bit of that in and what have you. And he went, yeah, that's great. Um, can, actually, can you do it again? But can you be a bit more to your left? So I did it again. And this went on. <laughs> several times and I just kept thinking why can't I get this right right I'm seriously messing this up each time why can't I get it right and eventually he went yeah okay that's it that's great thank you I thought you know god I'm gonna get fired <laughs> <laughs> we just spent about 40 minutes doing this one basic thing and I can't work out why and then I watched the film and then realized that I am all eight clone troopers <laughs> jumping into different positions right oh, okay <laughs> i did it eight times yeah so i'm i'm every in the i think it was uh attack of the clones when samuel jackson jumps off one of those uh in the battle and it's one of the i don't know what they're called uh <laughs> one of the land craft things right. that uh, had the funny wings that came down like that and they sort of half hovered and landed and troops jumped off them and things 
Um, I'm that shot with uh, Samuel Jackson. I am every single clone trooper. <laughs> That's great. <Every> <laughs> That's awesome. And I think, I mean, obviously these stories and the passion that you have is so infectious and so important to kind of realize, especially with the prequels, how many people were involved with, with creating these kinds of stuff that we take for granted. I'd be, I mean, I'd love to hear now, like, what are you working on currently? What are your upcoming projects? Where can people kind of see your work maybe with more of your face and, and kind <laughs> of, uh, and, but also see kind of what we're talking about, your theatrical background and, and all the things that you, you are so good at. Um, well, I have a website, uh, which is richardstride.co.uk. Um, Easy enough. Also, That's good. It wasn't taken. Yeah. Uh, Richard Stride on YouTube. There's a little bit. I'm starting to load up a few more bits and pieces um, of my yeah. work um, onto there. Um, so I've got a little YouTube channel um, which you can follow. Um, at the moment, I've I had, inc- I mean, bearing in mind it's COVID and right. the world has come to a close almost. Um, last week, I had three separate jobs, three separate filming jobs, wow. which was amazing. I think I've ever had that many in one week of three different separate jobs. Um, one was a, uh, a film, a family film, where I was in a library fighting a dragon. That was fun. There you go. Another one was uh, for ITV was uh, The World's Most Evil Killers, and I played a detective, um, which would be out um, on ITV in the UK and I think on various streaming services probably later in the year um and then on i did a on sunday i actually did a um thing for the government which was a government information film for covid19 i've just been penciled for a, a commercial um for a mobile phone app um literally and um so yeah i've just uh, I've had the best week That's i've great. been offered about five jobs in total at the moment so and then hopefully there'll be more filming work. And uh, there's very little theatre. Right. Uh, um, theatres have shut down and closed at the moment. And to be honest, it doesn't really look like they will open until March, April next year, right. if all goes well. Um, so there's very little on that side of things. But certainly the film and TV and um, that side of things and commercials, I think, uh, you know, um, they, they're able to find ways around right. because they don't, an audience that's in in an auditorium so right no, they, definitely yeah things have actually have been a lot better than i expected that's great no good. that's great to hear <laughs> well uh, mr stride thank you for coming on and telling these stories it means a lot and uh but stay safe yes you too you too all right talk soon Thank you again to Mr. Stride for the time and the stories. As mentioned, you can check out his website, richardstride.co.uk, for more information and upcoming roles and appearances. Next week is my long-awaited interview with the author of the Glove of Darth Vader series, Paul Davids. It's a wild one, so hang on. It's a new year, and I would really love some new reviews on Apple, so if right now you could go to where you're listening to this podcast and leave a five-star rating and review, it is so appreciated. But that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the force be with you.